Welcome to the How We Create podcast. I'm your host, Carissa Moreno. I've realized that growing up in an artistic family gave me the ability to approach new challenges in life without overthinking and without worrying about the outcomes. I want to share this skill with you and help inspire you to tackle that project you've been putting off. I will be here weekly telling you about my experiences as a creative and also having conversations with fine artists, musicians, performers, dancers, and you will learn how they create, how they experiment, and how they turn failures into opportunities for growth. I know that you are going to enjoy getting a peek inside their minds and creative lives. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. It really helps. Thanks. Today's guest is Leslie Gower, a writer, doodler, and teacher in Los Angeles. She loves dogs and is a proud member of the Los Angeles Lady Arm Wrestlers. She is also one of the funniest people somebody knows. Leslie and I talk about the artistic process and how to move through blocks and a bit about pain and what that really means to your process and for you as an artist and trying to break that myth that you have to be in agony in order to produce. I hope you enjoy. Good morning, Leslie. Good morning, Carissa. Thank you for being here. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Me too. This is the first season and I've been talking to people about beginnings. And I'm curious to hear what your first memory of creativity is and what you did and and how it felt. Just tell us a little bit about that. I don't know if I can remember what my very first moment of creativity was, but I I remember a few key moments when I was young that still stay in my brain. My mom was a very artistic and creative person. So I think growing up with her, I was always exposed to something creative in our household. She liked to have many different artistic interests from music to painting to sewing. She was a really amazing knitter. And I was just always surrounded in it. When I was in like first grade, my teacher gave us this assignment where we had to write a story called The First Last. I just remember my brain kind of breaking about it. It was the first time I'd ever thought about something being both a beginning and an end. And I I was just so excited by the topic. And I remember sitting on the swing and just thinking about it over and over, like, what does that mean? And I think that was like one of the first writing moments that I can really recall. I can see you're smiling. (laughs) I'm just like, first grade? (laughs) just seems really intense, the first last. My mind is breaking right now. Yeah, and it was I was so young, everything seems like the first in many ways. So the idea that it could simultaneously be the last moment of firstness, it probably also inspired a lot of my love for philosophy now that I think about it. But definitely as a writer, that's a moment that stands out to me and just the excitement of being confused by something and wanting to go to the page to figure out how to resolve that confusion. Not that I actually did. Do you remember what you wrote about? Oh, in true elementary school fashion, plagiarized the story of, I think it was a Shel Silverstein book about the the triangle and the missing piece. And I like basically just rewrote the missing piece and felt very proud about it at the time. Artists borrow from other artists. You have to start somewhere. It's true. It's true. Yeah. And then I I love illustration and doodling and drawing, even though I I mostly identify as a writer in my contemporary life. But one of my earliest memories was both my 
grandparents actually worked in newspaper doing advertising in various components. And my mom was raising me on her own. So she would work sometimes late nights to have to put together the the newspaper before it would go out to print the next day and be working on the ad designs. I'd often be with her in her office and just at the newspaper until like eight or something until we could leave. My favorite memories were actually hanging out with the illustrator that worked at the newspaper. And he would sit with me, his name was Gary, and he would show me how to draw. And he basically taught me the original concepts of that I learned about with drawing, which was to look at something that's already out there. And we would do it with comic strips because I loved comics and just try to redraw frame by frame the comic strip or whatever it was that had already been drawn. And and he was like, you know, people always will tell you, you should start by tracing. And he's like, tracing is not a very good technique because then you're going to rely upon being able to see it beneath the surface. But you really, as an artist, he would say, you need to see it with your eyes and be able to get away from the idea that you're just copying it from the tracing. I always thought that was really interesting and and hard when I was young, but I loved it. And I remember I would recreate like Garfield comics and things like that over and over again until I understood a bit about how people draw. Yeah. So I think those two moments particularly stand out. That's such an amazing opportunity that you had to sit with an illustrator when you were a child. I wonder if we should backtrack a little bit for those who are younger and explain what a newspaper is. Right. (laughs) Ah, the world of changing media. Back in the olden days, as my students like to to say, there were literal physical, there still are actually spaces where people would go in like an office environment and put together the news the way that they would do online graphic design of an online newspaper like the New York Times. My parents would actually do that by cutting out little pieces of printed out advertisements and gluing them together onto a big spread. And then that would go through uh, several people's eyes to make sure that everything was okay. Then eventually into the printing press. My dad worked in a very small newspaper, so he actually had the printing press there. And it was cool. I used to go down into the basements and watch the newspapers get printed and people would buy them and you'd get ink all over your hands. It was a filthy, disgusting trade, but we're all very nostalgic for it nonetheless. What were your next steps? Were you writing when you were younger? Take us on that journey, for lack of a better word. I've always really loved writing. I think for as long as I I knew about writing, I loved stories more than anything. I think just creating narrative, coming up with characters. I I really think um, Henry Miller, I think he said that the best stories we're telling are of the ordinary person. I I think that's probably true. We read a lot of stories about people who live extraordinary lives, and that's wonderful. But most of us are going to live extraordinarily normal lives. And I think that storytelling was the first, beyond fairy tales, stories were the first time that I started to really see that and value it, I think, because my parents, I think, were both pretty ordinary people. And you want to be able to uh, appreciate people's humanity. So I think part of my beginning of my creative life had to do with appreciating people and appreciating experiences and then wanting to find a way to express that. As a writer in middle school, I wrote this thing about how when I got older, I if I didn't become a professional uh, baseball player, I would, which is very funny if you uh, don't know me at all, you wouldn't know why this is a hilarious joke other than it sounds ridiculous. I'm probably just hearing it, but also I, I am, let's just say, not particularly athletic. But be aside from that, I wrote that I wanted to become a writer. I think I've always been interested in, in this stuff. But 
what the word writer meant, I think has changed a lot in my life. I really got into playwriting for a while when I was younger, was really into theater uh, and performance. And I never really uh, thought of being a playwright. I don't know, maybe it was a gender-based thing. Most of the playwrights that I'd been exposed to weren't women. I just didn't really think about it as a place that I would pursue. So how yeah. did you end up doing the playwriting? I had this idea for a play and it just was something that had been in my mind. I decided one night that I should go to grad school to write it because I'm really unstructured when I'm outside of a, a place that is giving me external deadlines. I went to grad school and I, I started studying playwriting and then didn't write that play. Did you ever write that story or you just let it go? I, it kind of evolved into something else, which I did write a play for my, my master's thesis. It had some inspiration from the original idea. How would you describe your creative process? And within that, how do you approach creative risks? Boy, creative process and creative risks. There's this performance artist named Marina Abramovich, and she has this thing about the importance of risk-taking as a creative person, and it's just brilliant. She talks about how when she was young, her drawing teacher told her that if she ever got to be so good at drawing with her right hand that she could do it with her eyes closed, she should immediately stop and switch to the left hand. That's spot on when it comes to risk-taking. We get really comfortable, I think, as creative people in the things that we know. It's fun to go down a rabbit hole with one particular you know, project, but it's important to always be taking risks and to push yourself into new territories. That's where the really exciting work comes into fruition. A lot of that, I think, also is about confronting fear, and that's hard to do. I, I do a lot of writing that is sometimes disturbing and deals with difficult material. It requires both a bit of research that can be challenging to explore and a lot of inner exploration and confronting things that are difficult. And that can be a, a challenging process. I think it's why sometimes artists get stuck, quite frankly. The writer's block thing, I, I don't quite believe in because I think if you're really creative enough, you can write novels out of your coffee cup. But sometimes there is something about the work or about your own life that's going on that's just too emotional. It's too hard to confront. And I think that's where the blocks often emerge. My process, yeah, I, I feel like it's an evolving realization is what my process is. David Lynch talked about his process in a way that it resonates a bit with me. He says that he gets in inspiration that's like a puzzle piece. He'll see a puzzle piece in his brain and then he will love that puzzle piece and really nurture it. And eventually another puzzle piece will emerge and maybe another one or another one down the line will bring those two pieces together. That's similar to how my ideas start in the creative realm is I, I get more like a flash of something and then find myself thinking about it and pondering it and trying to unravel it. And I do a lot of internal writing is what I would say. I figure something out before I come to the page. And often it's, I don't want to say it's fully developed because I'm an ex extremely meticulous editor and love finding things in the editing process. I won't come to the, the page until I have something uh, a little bit worth saying. And I recognize as a writer that that's problematic. And I, I try to teach the opposite of it to people <laughs> like you, you need to make a discipline. But nonetheless, it's what I, I tend to, to resort back to. You were talking about how sometimes you go to dark places and feel that you push yourself in that direction. I also know that you do comedy. How do you balance those two opposite emotions? My mom had a really dark sense of humor. When I was in middle school, her bumper sticker on her car read, life's a piece of shit and then you die as I got dropped off to middle school. I, I think that dark comedy runs in my veins. 
I wrote a play once about group therapy, and it was basically exploring post-traumatic stress disorder in, in many different ways in which people experience it. And it was like really dark material drawn upon from a lot of real case studies and things that I had done. And I remember somebody afterwards saying to me after seeing it, they were like, wow, there were some so many funny moments in that play. It was really unexpected. If anything, comedy and trauma often go hand in hand. It's how people heal from dark experiences. I think timing is really important and knowing your audience. I've certainly experienced moments where I've said something that I thought was going to be received in a very funny and humorous way and instead received a, a look of horror on the, the face of the person I was speaking to. And realized, yes. okay, maybe this wasn't the, the gallows humor moment that I imagined it was going to be. Yeah, I would say part of it is timing, as all good comedians know. I like a bit of whimsicality with the darkness. I know from your social media, you also sing, and I saw you playing the piano. Tell us a little bit about that, your other artistic adventure. Yeah, I appreciate, Carissa, you saying playing the piano. I really don't know how to play the piano. It, it's a beautiful instrument that I sometimes pretend to play. I, I do know how to play guitar, mostly self-taught. I think I got into it primarily because I liked singing when I was younger and wanted just a way to be able to do so that wasn't in like choir or musicals. Guitar became an outlet for me. I, I love music, but it, it's definitely become more of a just a personal creative outlet. Occasionally when I was younger, I would like perform sometimes. It always made me horrifyingly anxious. I, I really, it's just a, a special thing. Every so often, yeah, I, you're right. I do a social media, how hearing my life on social media is a horrifying <laughs> phrase. But yes, it's, I think my mom was a singer too. She loved to sing. My dad loved to sing, though more in a goofy kind of playful way. It's a part of my upbringing. I think, again, like a lot of the creative stuff that I feel today, I think came from exposure at a young age, which I encourage people to expose young people to, to creative realms. It's opened me up a lot. Do you see any crossover between the music and the writing? Oh, yeah. I feel like all of the creative stuff is happening in one part of my brain, so to speak. So it all, I call myself a writer these days, but that's really just to put a, some kind of more narrowed phrasing on it. But yeah, I, it all operates for me in the same places, a place of exploration and and discovery. That's what I'm trying to do with creativity. If you didn't have to put a narrow name on it, how would you define yourself? So give you some specific language without giving you specific language. If you were to tell me you're a writer without telling me you're a writer. I, wow, that's a thoughtful question. I, I feel like it's a space of taking the inner worlds and sharing them with others. That's what I like to do. I like that. Whew. What advice would you have for somebody who feels blocked or feels fear, inability to move forward in their creative projects? There's a lot of that you have to unravel with that. Is the fear, maybe if you're going through like grief or something, you just may not be able to be very creative at that time. You know, some people talk about the suffering artist motif and, oh, was having this problem and look at what amazing art they made out of it. And that's wonderful, but that doesn't necessarily describe every person's experience with pain. Sometimes pain is just too painful and you can't really be creative in those realms. I would first just make sure that's not what is going on is that you're going through pretty severe pain. If that's not it, and 
it's more like you're getting to a point where you don't know where to take the work next or you're you're between projects, which can be a real place of despair. I think lots of different things. If I'm like working on a comedy piece, for example, and I'm feeling a little bit stuck, I'll go and just like watch an hour of my favorite comedy stuff, like a bunch of sketches or a bit of one of my favorite comedy films, or I'll, you know, look up some information about a comedy piece that I'm curious about that I haven't had a chance to explore. And sometimes just that alone gets me excited. I also have to really recommend working with other people if that is a possibility in the medium in which you're working within. And I know sometimes it isn't, but if it is, I find that to be very rejuvenating. And also for people like me who maybe struggle with creating internal deadlines, it can be good to have somebody else who's like, hey, Leslie, you're supposed to be writing with me right now because that just helps to keep the the work going forward. But it's great because you can bounce ideas off of each other. I really like what you said. And I just want to go back to the, if you're feeling pain, because we need to, I think, and that myth that you have to be this in this miserable state to be a productive artist. Because I think that can hold people back that if they are feeling good and they are feeling happy, that then they aren't in a way allowed to go through that creative process. I don't know if you've ever experienced that at all. I've definitely come across it with other people expressing like the, again, the idea that you have to be in some horrible suffering scenario to really understand the depths of the artistic soul. There's something poetic about that. Don't get me wrong, but no, to be perfectly blunt, I think that the best works that I've done have been when I've been feeling supported and pretty good about my life and feeling like I had people that were creative around me, excited to be hearing my ideas. It's when you're in an environment that is designed for thriving that you're likely going to thrive. Now, people do sometimes thrive in horrible situations and that's extraordinary, but I would hope that we can be artists without all of the tragedy all the time. Sometimes things are okay. Yes. (laughs) Let's make art in those times. It sounds good. And the fact that working with other people keeps you accountable. For me, I did that through school for so many years. And that was always my default that to be held accountable, I had to be taking a class until I realized that I could actually grow up and do that same thing with other adults and with other creative people. Do you do that collaboration? Are you actually working on something together? Or do you have folks that you check in with to keep yourself accountable or to to keep the, the movement of the work going? Yeah, a little bit of both. I, I, I do have a writing partner and we were both uh, English teachers. She teaches in a college. I teach in a, in a high school. It can be very difficult to find time outside of your job when that's your life during the school year. We don't write together uh, consistently, but we are writing partners and we've been working on a project for several years together. And it's a book that we've been working on together. But I've also done a lot of collaborative work with people in other ways. There was a friend of mine that used to live out in Los Angeles was part of a a theater group that I was involved with. She's a director and a writer and just an all-around awesome creator. And we did several projects together that included spaces where we literally wrote things in the same room together that we were working on to working on sort of separate projects, but using each other as creative inspiration. And I would say my partner too. He's a theater guy. He's an artist. He's a director. He's very creative. And I think 
what brings a lot of our conversations together is that we both have that passion. And I think we're both excited and, and want to be inspiring each other to both be working together on projects and on our own things. When you go back to the question of what can you do when you're feeling stuck or what are what's some suggestions to young people who are maybe looking into this is find a community of, of creators. And whatever that means, it may mean sitting in a coffee shop with other people who are working on individual projects, but you're just working together and every so often laughing and smiling at each other. Or it could mean that you're literally like creating a team of creators to put together one specific project. And I think both are extremely valuable. Let's move into this idea of mistakes. I've been trying to come up with a different word for it. I I was in a conversation with someone else on this podcast who said, maybe we don't need a different word for it. Maybe we just need a different feeling that surrounds the word. I'm curious to hear what you have to say about creative mistakes, what you think of them, how you deal with them, how you correct them. Yeah. The first time I ever got a tattoo, I asked my tattoo artist, what happens if you make a mistake while you're tattooing or if your hand shakes? And she said, oh, that happens all the time. And she said it so nonchalantly while she's like literally tattooing my arm. And as she said it, she was like, when that happens, I just go back and fix it. Like, like any art form, you go back and you, you know, address the issue that was happening and you, you would fix it. I think that's wonderful. And I I think that is the best approach to have with the creative process is to see mistakes as opportunities to grow and to make the work better. I'll also say though, it feels horrible. (laughs) The first time I gave a draft of my, this play once to my, my thesis, director and it was about a hundred pages long and I got back the manuscript and he basically in with a lot more feedback said in a nutshell this is great now cut 50 pages and I had a meltdown to put it mildly I, I, I cursed him out a lot I threw a lot of things metaphorically in my brain I was upset it was painful and I think I think we have to acknowledge that criticism although it is a neutral word and thereby is intended especially if it's done with the quote unquote constructively intended to service the work and make it better. It's hard for it not to hurt. I teach people not to let it hurt, but I feel it. I feel that pain. You have to develop a, a, a way of doing it enough. You just have to do whatever it is that you're doing a lot and a lot to understand that part of your process is going to involve moments of failure, moments of being stuck, whatever the case may be. Because I think without doing it repetitively, it can be very intimidating to go through those moments and to feel like there's no outcome beyond being stuck. How do you deal with the hurt in, in the beginning? Because now you have a process, right? Where you're doing it enough to where the hurt maybe isn't as bad or is it still as bad? I don't know. I think it's just, I recognize it more as part of the process. I don't think it's ever fully stops hurting, but I think you learn how not to take it quite so personally. And I'd also say, again, part of my approach to the creative process is just a lot of output. And when you're doing so much of it, you're a little less attached to things. It, it just feels more like, oh, okay, that didn't work. Great. I'll something else. There's so many more things to pick here to, to address. I think it's do it a lot and it will feel a lot less painful in the process. Do you have a favorite tool for fixing mistakes? Proofreading your papers out loud. Students, I hope you're hearing this. Aside from like the writing thing. Yeah, but my favorite tools for fixing mistakes. 
For me, one of my biggest mistakes is I over edit when I'm in the creative process. And I've had to work really hard as a creator to allow the raw ideas to come to the surface more and to be comfortable with having things be a little unclear to me sometimes as an artist. And that's that's taken a lot of time. As a writer, I find this tool called the most dangerous writing app.com. I think if you type that in, you'll find it to be really great for people who struggle with over editing. I will say it's it is is dangerous. So when you go there, be warned. But what it is, it's an application that you can click on different timeframes. The smallest setting I think is like three minutes. And it also does it by word count. So you can do like, I don't know, 75 words or something. And it goes all the way up to an hour. And basically you'll click one of those boxes. So let's say three minutes, and then it'll take you to a blank screen. And once you start typing, if you stop for too long, or you try to go back and delete and edit something, it will start to, the screen will start to become red. And if you don't meet your time limit, everything you've written disappears forever. Although I don't think it actually disappears forever. I think you can get it back. But I like the feeling that it's disappeared forever. Once you reach the time limit, then you can download it and then go back and edit it. It will be a mess. You're going to have just like spelling errors and ridiculous ideas. And I've done it up to 20 minutes. I've done the the 20 minute version. Uh, They also have what's called hardcore mode, which is you can click that box. And when you do that, you can't see the entire word that you're typing as you type it. You can only see the letter as you type it. So that's really good for like overthinkers and people who are afraid of making mistakes. It's funny that when you were describing it, it was giving me a little anxiety, just like, oh God, what what a brilliant idea and brilliant app. And if they want to sponsor this podcast, hey, we're out here. I believe Um, it is a free resource. Please, the most dangerous writing app. I think they have a new name now too. So sorry, I don't remember what you're called now. Do you want to tell everyone where they can find you and also post it in the show notes? Yes, sure. I'm I'm always bad at this self-promotion thing. You can find me in many different places. If you're interested in photography stuff that I do, I have an Instagram account where all I do is draw smiles on dogs. It's called Words on the Page 27. I also have a an Instagram account where it's more focused on photography. And the name of that is called Lemon Meringue Sly, which is my arm wrestling name, which we could talk about some other time. And then if you want to hear more about writing stuff, you can be one of my like two and a half followers on Twitter, which is proofrock underscore 27. Proofrock from T.S. Eliot's The Love Song of Jelford Proofrock. So those are a few places you can find me. Oh, I think on TikTok is similar proofrock 27 if you want to watch dumb videos about dogs and a few writing tutorials <laughs> <laughs> that's a good combination <laughs> but if i'm ever going to be known for two lines two famous lines that you can quote me on number one words on the page i think it's really important as a creative hardest part about writing is sitting down to write as i always like to say so if you get any words on the page you have accomplished your task and then the other thing uh, i hope that i will as i'm dying i hope this is the the phrase that comes out of my mouth and that everybody remembers before which is be the better driver, people. Be the better driver. Make better choices on the road. You've been in LA for too long. Way too long. Thank you so much, Leslie, for joining us. And I really appreciate all the advice that you gave to our listeners. Thanks for having me, Carissa. This was really fun. Here are your inspirational boosts from today's episode. Number one, your first creation might be borrowed from another artist's work. Do that first and then learn to see with your own eyes. Number two, who is your Gary? Do you have a mentor? This could be a teacher, a friend, or someone new that you reach out to. Number three, don't neglect the ordinary. It doesn't have to be extraordinary to be meaningful or interesting. 
Number four, if you are blocked, find something that relates to what you're doing. This could be a TV show or a bit of research to get you excited again. Number five, do it a lot to understand that part of the process are those times when you feel stuck or feel moments of failure. Number six, the creative process is producing. Increase your output. Did you get it on your end? Yes, I pushed continue. Okay. Does it do something when I push continue? No. Oh, it does nothing. So if people say no to that, what happens to them? That's a good question. (laughs) (laughs) Your computer explodes or something. I don't know. (laughs) It's sort of like that. Is it, would it be vaudeville where they put the the hook around the person and they just get taken off? Yeah. I think that's maybe what happens.